Father God, we thank you for your almighty word. We thank you that uh, at times when we are down and struggling and wondering um, that you are true and you're faithful and you yet hold us fast. Your promises come true. May that be, uh, may that be something that each believer that is in this room today, each one that that professes Christ as Lord, that Jesus died on the cross to pay for our sins. May they be able to hold on to that truth. I pray that your word penetrates the hearts, the souls, the minds of these students as Pastor Clint presents your word this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This morning, you can stay standing to welcome a familiar face to you. Uh, We are pleased, and I think he's got a lot of content to, to cover this morning. Please welcome Pastor Clint Childs to the front. Good morning. I think I'm on. Open your Bibles, if you would, to 1 Samuel chapter 9. First Samuel 9. I find it ironic that before I get up to preach... Uh, Mr. Heckerly quotes Psalm 77, which says that you kept my eyelids open. And that's quite funny to me during preaching. It's good to be together. Uh, It's an honor always to stand before you and open the Word of God. Um, I think chapel's important. Um, The scriptures are important. Uh, We need to hear from the Word of God. Uh, Our task this morning is rather heavy because I'm already angry with Gordon as it is because preaching through a whole, preaching, um, just I'll give you a little pastoral insight. Preaching is hard. Preaching historical narrative from the Old Testament is hard. Saying, Clint, here's three chapters of historical narrative from the Old Testament and you've got 30 minutes is hard. But we're going to have some fun, and uh, I'm hopefully going to give you enough time to get into your e-groups and uh, spend some time together. But before we do, let's open with a word of prayer. Father in heaven, uh, we come before you, and we thank you for being the God who is there. You love us. You take care of us. And Lord, we don't love you as we should. You have given us breath this morning. You've given us life. You've, you, you keep our heart beating, Lord. And, and Lord, we take you for granted. And Lord, forgive us of that. And Lord, my prayer this morning is for those of us here who know Christ, that we would take the truths of Scripture and that we would bask in it, we would meditate on it and think through it for your honor and glory. And Lord, I pray this morning if there is someone here who does not know Christ, that today may be the day of salvation. We love you, and we praise you, and it's in Jesus' name, amen. If there's a title to be given, I don't like to give sermons titles, that's the last part of anything, but I would say, be careful what you wish for. Be careful what you wish for. 
there's a danger, if you will, in wanting to be like everybody else. There's a danger in wanting to be like everybody else because you may actually get what you ask for. I remember when I was your age and I was a teenager and and I remember I just I can't wait till I'm older. I'm so tired. I can't wait and and I can't wait till I'm older and I can have my freedom, right? I just want to get out and I'm tired of being under my parents. Uh, authority. I just want the freedom that look at all these people out there. They're, they have, they're not at home. Things are going well. And brothers and sisters, I'm telling you right now, it's not all it's cracked up to be. When you get freedom and you get outside your parents' houses, look at me real quickly, right? You have to pay bills. And that's no fun at all. Bills are not fun, right? No, no one enjoys that. No one tells you that. I, I remember when uh, my, when I was trying to get a job for the first time in my, in my parents' house, I was like, I really want a job, I want a job, I want a job. My dad's like, that's fine, but listen, it's not all it's cracked up to be. He's like, listen, this isn't always a good thing. Like, no, I want a job, I want a job. And so when I got a job, guess what? I realized it's not all it was cracked up to be. And so, you know, back in the day, it was, I, I would say, you know, I, I usually tease the girls when it comes to finding a husband, you know, hey, if he's, living in, if he's still living with his parents, that's a red flag. But now, if he's with his parents, he's probably wise. It's an economic decision, and you could probably still look into I'm just kidding. Don't do that. All right. There's a danger in wanting to be like everybody else. And from a spiritual side, Christians, we who are followers of Christ, we've, we've repented of our sins, we've, we've given our life to Christ, we are to fix our eyes vertically on God. We're to, we're to fix our eyes on Jesus Christ, and our responsibility is to follow Him. And in fact, that's what the gospel call is, is it not? He says, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. That's what we're supposed to do. We, we abandon everything to follow Him. But if we're honest, sin tempts us to look horizontally. We're supposed to look this way. We're supposed to keep our eyes fixed on the prize. We're to keep our eyes on Christ, our eyes on God. But our, our sinful heart, we begin to look this way instead. We tend to think that sinners are having more fun. I remember, again, high school, looking at what my friends who were, I didn't have a lot of Christian friends. I don't know if I had any Christian friends. I was in a public school. Uh, it was a, not a very godly town at all. I didn't have a lot of friends. I didn't, the Christian school option really wasn't a thing for me. And I just remember my, my unsaved friends appeared to be having more fun. And what would happen is I would begin to complain in my heart. And this is something we can all relate to. We, we, God has called us to live a certain way, but then we begin to complain because things aren't going the way we think they should. And if there's one theological truth I can drop for you this first part of this morning is this. It's complaining is a sin against God. When we complain, what we're saying is, is that God, you're not being good right now. When, you, when, when God, who is sovereign over all things, has you right where he's at, right where you're at, and we begin to complain, we're actually complaining against the goodness of God. You're not fair to me. Uh, there's, a, there's several other accusations we can make. When I begin to complain, it's not good. I know I've had to check my own heart at various times. 
It's easy to it's easy to look at what others have. It's easy to look at unbelievers and look like, man, it looks like they're having more fun. But the, the honest reality is that's not the case. And it's the sin inside of us that that pushes us or tempts us, if you will, to to sin against God. And in our sin, when we decide to go the way of the world, we reject God and we embrace this worldview. This morning, we're going to look at or continue our study, if you will, of 1 Samuel. And we're going to see that this is exactly what happens to Israel. Again, to, in order to, to set up our context, to go way back to the beginning, God has chosen a people group for Himself. He has chosen, uh, through Abram, He's going to make a, a group of people, Genesis 12, and we know them as the nation of Israel. And we also know that God, throughout the Bible, has delivered His people, right? He has called them to live a certain way. He, he, in Egypt, he, he takes them out. As He takes them out he, uh, and defeats the army of, of, of Pharaoh, He brings them into the wilderness. He sets up His law and says, You are My people, and this is how you are to live. He calls them to holiness. That's not a four-letter word. That's a curse word, by the way. Listen to me, if you're here and you know Jesus Christ is your Savior, you're called to live a holy life. Your life is not your own. What does Jesus say? You're bought with a price. That's slave language, by the way. You're not your own. You're either a slave to sin or a slave to God. And there's one that's better than the other. So we've been called to live this holy life. That means at the same time as we follow God, we're going to have to guard our heart, Proverbs said, from looking the other way. We're going to be tempted to look left and right instead of up and down at God. That's why it's so important, as a side note, that we stay in the Word of God. That you're around a healthy church where the Word of God is preached with people who love you enough to speak truth into your life. We need godliness. We need God's ways. But as you see with Israel, he, he sets this people apart delivers his people he calls them to live a certain way and in doing so the people choose to live like the world if you want to if you want a tutorial of how not to do things read the old testament and follow israel you and i can sit here and i remember sunday school and you know growing up and saying these guys are idiots well, what are you doing? Why would you do this? And then the whole time it's like, oh, wait, this is me. I do the exact same thing. I don't obey. I, I think my ways are better. And so when we get into this transitional area where we get into 1 Samuel, where the, the judges have ending, are ending, and Samuel's kind of our last judge now, and, and we begin to look at the monarch beginning, the king, this kingdom, if you will. We see that Israel has just been rejecting God over and over again. Last week you were in 1 Samuel 8, I believe. And this is where God, where Israel rejects God as their leader. Remember the nations around Israel uh, throughout this time, uh, God in the Old Testament was focusing on this monotheism. There's, there's one God and, and the nations, there are many gods. And so he says, no, you're, there's only one God. This is me. And you're to follow me. Constantly, Israel wants to be like the other nations. The heart is fickle. Look at first, uh, again, go back to chapter 8 real quick. 
Verse 4, chapter 8, it says, Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Behold, you are old. There's a fun thing to say. You are old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. But the thing displeased Samuel who, when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, listen to what the Lord says. He says, obey the voice of the people and all that they say to you. For they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. In other words, what he's saying, this is a hard issue. They don't want me to rule, right? God has ruled over them. He has fought their battles. And they're like, no, we want a king like everybody else. I'm going to make a comment, and I don't know if you'll fully appreciate it now. But sometimes you don't realize how good you have it until you look back in hindsight. Israel had the Creator God, Yahweh, as their ruler. And the Bible tells us repeatedly, over and over again, that Yahweh, Yahweh tells them, I will fight for you. Imagine never having to fight anything in your life. Just say, listen, just follow me, just be obedient, and I'll take care of you. It's like, it's like a father telling a child, just follow me. You don't have to worry about anything. I'm going to take care of you. You're going to be fine. You're going to be fine. Just follow, right? That's a good life. You don't have to worry about paying for anything. You don't have to worry about nothing. Just, just be obedient, and I'll take care of you. Exodus 14 is... You remember as the Israelites are coming out of Egypt and, and they're worried because Pharaoh's army is coming. And, and, and literally God tells them, he says, listen, Moses tells the people, the Lord will fight for you. You have only to be silent. Listen, God's going to take care of them. Just shut up and watch. Just be obedient. Trust me. What happens? The Lord fights for them. He opens the waters. They go through the waters shut on the army of the Egyptians. He did the fighting. They couldn't do anything. They were powerless. Again, Deuteronomy 3, verse 22. He says, when they go into the land, this, this, this land that they're in now, he says, listen, you shall not fear them. You shall not fear the people. For it is the Lord, it is Yahweh, your God, who fights for you. Listen, just be obedient. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work out all of this for you. Why? Because God is sovereign. You don't need a large military campaign when the creator of the universe says, I'm fighting for you. Don't worry about it. He just has to snap his fingers and everything is defeated. Deuteronomy 20, verse 4, The Lord your God is He who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to give you the victory. He's good. You don't have to do anything and you'll win. Just be obedient. But in our sin, we say, God, this isn't good enough. I know you fought my battles, but we want to be like everybody else. We want to look like everybody We want a king. It's what they say here in 1 Samuel 8. So Israel has rejected God. We, want, we don't want him. We want a king. We want a visible person. So what God is going to do, he's going to appoint a king according to their standards. What, what, what 1 Samuel 9 through 11 is going to tell us, it's the beginning of the reign of, the, of, the reign of Saul, Israel's first king. 
God is going to give them a king, but he's going to give them a king based on what they think their standards are. And we know it's Israel's standards. Because what we also know from history is that back in Genesis, God says that the one who's going to truly rule will come from the line of Judah, not from the line of Benjamin, as we'll see here in a moment. So who did God appoint? This is where we're going to begin today for a short time together. He's going to appoint Saul of Benjamin. So what I want to do briefly is I can't cover all three chapters today. I would be a fool to try to do that in this short amount of time. I'm going to focus a lot on chapter 9 into chapter, a little bit of 10, and, and give you the overview of 11 here in a minute. So in, in, in chapter 9, all the way through chapter 10, halfway through chapter 10, Saul is chosen to be king. That's really what this whole lay, this lays down to be. In verses 1 and 2, follow me here in chapter 9. In verses 1 and 2, Saul is going to be introduced. So look back at the last verse of chapter 8. It says here, and the Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice, obey their voice, and make them a king. Samuel then said to the men of Israel, Go every man to his city. So I'm gonna, God's gonna pick your king out for you. Here we go. Chapter 9, verse 1. There was a man of Benjamin whose name was Kish, the son of Abiel, son of Zeor, Zeror, son of Bekorath, son of Aphia, a Benjaminite, a man of wealth, and he had a son whose name was Saul. So now we know who God's picking. He's picking out a man by the name of Saul. And in verse 1, we find out his family background. He comes from a wealthy family. Now, look, God is picking them now, not because Saul's awesome. He's picking out someone based on what Israel wants, which is appearance, right? We want to be like everybody else. We want to look good. So he picks out a guy with a family background who's wealthy. And then we find out what he looks like. Because, lady, are we right? Looks matter, right? I'm just kidding. Here we go. Verse 2, and he had, I'm sorry, verse 9, a Benjaminite, a man of wealth, verse 2, and he had a son whose name was Saul, a handsome young man. He's a good-looking guy. He would have been a guy who would have been a, a, a model, someone who was, who was well-to-do. Everybody, all the ladies like to look at him. He was a good-looking guy. And it says here, verse 2, there was not a man among the people of Israel more handsome than he. Not only was he good-looking, they doubled down. There's no one more handsome than he. And then he says this, from his shoulders upward, verse 2, he was taller than any of the people. So what do we know about Saul? We know that he comes from a wealthy background. He's a good-looking guy, and the dude's tall. So from, a, from an outsider standpoint, you're like, man, this is what we want to be. The, the people of Israel will love this. This is going to be their king because he's good-looking. He's got everything that the world would want. And in fact, as we look a little bit more here, we're going to see on the inside, he's even got some humility, which is great. But as we know, as you move on in Samuel, this is not going to work out. So God chooses Saul. He's handsome. He's got some money. He's tall. These are the things that the world values. And for the next few verses here, we're going to find out how God uses a sovereign, providential issue to get Saul to meet Samuel. Say, so what is the big issue? Saul's dad lost some donkeys. Donkeys are wealth. You, you need that. These are important. They're expensive. So Saul is going to go out and he's going to look everywhere with a young man to try to find some to try to find these donkeys. 
I'm not going to read the whole text here. And it tells us in verses 5 through 14 that while they're looking, they cannot find the, these animals. But while they're in town, most likely in Ramah, they find out that there's a seer or a prophet there. And the prophet's none other than a man by the name of Samuel. Look at verses 15 and 17. The text tells us, I cannot turn my pages. Verse 15, now, the day before Saul came, the Lord had revealed to Samuel, tomorrow about this time I will send to you a man from the land of Benjamin, and you shall anoint him to be prince over my people Israel. He shall save my people from the hand of the Philistines, for I have seen my people because their cry has come to me. When Samuel saw Saul, the Lord told him, here is the man whom I spoke to you. He it is who shall restrain my people. God says, this is the man. And in verses 20 through 27, Saul and, and Samuel are going to interact. Saul's going to meet Samuel, and Samuel's going to say, listen, uh, the donkeys are okay, don't worry about it, but I need you to stay here with me. And he invites him to dinner. And he invites him to dinner and puts him uh, at the head of the table, which is a really big deal during this time. It's a, it's a seat of honor. And he gives him the best food. In fact, look at verses 20 and 21 before he invites him. He, he, imagine just showing up at some guy's door, and then some guy tells you this, verse 20. He says, As for your donkeys that were lost three days ago, do not set your mind on them, for they have been found. And for whom is all that is desirable in Israel? Is it not for you and for all your father's house? And Saul answered, Am I not a Benjaminite from the least of the tribes of Israel? And is not my clan the humblest of all the clans in the tribe of Benjamin? Why then have you spoken to me in this way? In other words, when he shows up at Samuel's door, Samuel says, Listen, I, I can't believe what all you're going to have. You're going to be the most blessed person here. And Saul's like, What are you talking about? So Saul has dinner with Samuel. Go down to verse 27 of chapter 9. And as they were going down to the outskirts of the city, as, as Saul spent the night, he's getting ready to leave. Samuel and Saul are walking. In verse 27, he says, Tell the servant to pass on before us. And when he has passed on, stop here yourself for a while, that I may make note to you the word of the word of God. What, what is it that, that you're wanting to tell me, uh, Samuel? Verse, chapter 10, verse 1. Then Samuel took a flask of oil and poured it on his head and kissed him and said, Has not the Lord anointed you to be prince or the leader over the people of Israel? And you shall reign over the people of the Lord, and you will save them from the hand of your surrounding enemies. And this shall be a sign to you that the Lord has anointed you to be prince over his heritage. In other words, he says, listen, God has chosen you to be king, brother, and this is, this is what God wants. And, you know, you've got Saul who's not sure about this. We, we find from the text he's kind of a shy guy. He's not a, he's not a very uh, bo boisterous guy. He's, he's very humble in his beginnings. And what he says, he says, listen, to confirm this to you, Samuel says there's going to be some stuff happening. He says you're going to go down the road and you're going to meet a couple ladies. They're going to tell you that your donkeys have been found. He says you're going to go on a little farther. You're going to find three men and they're going to give you a gift. And then he says, you're going to go a little bit farther and you're going to meet a group of prophets. And the Spirit of the Lord's going to come upon you to enable you to do what God's called you to do. Go down to chapter 10, verse 5. 
verse, I'm sorry, verse 6, then the Spirit of the Lord, he says, will rush upon you and you will prophesy with him and be turned into another man. Uh, this, this doesn't deal with salvation. It deals with the Spirit of God coming upon him to empower him. This is something, and we're not going to get into pneumatology today, but in the Old Testament, the Spirit would come upon you and he would uh, empower you, not salvifically necessary, but he would come upon you to enable you uh, to do what God's called you to do. We see this in the book of Judges with Gideon and with Jephthah, because what's going to happen, hear me clearly, as you continue to go through 1 Samuel, the Spirit comes upon Saul here, and in chapter 16, the Spirit goes bye-bye because God has rejected him. This is not a salvation thing. You can't lose your salvation. This is an empowerment. Says, I'm going to use you. So hear me out. God, when, when, God's, when, God, when the people tell God we want a king, God gives them a king. And we know that they're rejecting God. But what God does is he enables them and says, listen, if there's going to be any failures on this king part, it's not because of me. You know, Saul's not just some sort of providential pawn where he's like, well, I'm just going to use them to show them their failures. He says, no, you want your king? Here he is. It's not going to work out well, but I'm going to give him everything he needs to succeed. My spirit is literally upon him. And so what happens? Verse 9, chapter 10. When he turned his back to leave Samuel, God gave him another heart. And all these signs came to pass that day. When he came to Gibeah, behold, a group of prophets met him, and the Spirit of God rushed upon him, and he prophesied among them. And when all who knew him previously saw him, saw how he prophesied with the prophets, the people said to one another, What has come over the son of Kish? Is Saul also among the prophets? And a, man of the, and a man of that place answered, And who is their father? Therefore it became a proverb. But is Saul also among the prophets? When he had finished prophesying, he came to the high place. And watch what, watch what happens. He's coming back home now. Verse 14, Saul's uncle said to him and his servant, Where did you go? And he said, To seek the donkeys. And when he saw that they, that they were not to be found, we went to Samuel. And Saul's uncle said, Please tell me what, what Samuel said to you. And Saul said to his uncle, He told us plainly that the donkeys had been found. But about the manner of the kingdom of which Samuel had spoken, he did not tell him anything. Let me summarize the rest of this for you. In verses 17 through 26, Samuel will be proclaimed king. He's already been, he's been chosen by God based on the people's standard. He's been anointed privately by Samuel. And then now what they're going to do is, to, to prove it again, he's going to go by lot. They're going, to, they're going to bring all the tribes by lot, which is God's way in the Old Testament of, of God telling the people what he wants. And it's going to be narrowed down to the tribe of Benjamin, to the family of Kish, to Saul, who's hiding, by the way. And to give evidence that this is what God has wanted and how God has enabled this man, in chapter 11, he defeats Israel's enemies. He defeats the Ammonites. And then in verse 12, as of now, you, 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 the story kind of, the account kind of ends on a high note, if you will. Verse 12 of chapter 11, then the people said to Samuel, 
Who is it that said, shall Saul reign over us? Bring them in that we may put them to death. But Saul said, not a man shall be put to death this day, for today the Lord has worked salvation in Israel. Even, even Saul recognizes it wasn't him. Verse 14, then Samuel said to the people, come, let us go to Gilgal and there renew the kingdom. Because you have to remember during this time with the judges, all the tribes, are, they're, they're still Israel, but they're kind of disjointed. They're still uh, you know, there's, they're not really truly united, but under the king, they're going to be united really for the first time. Verse 15, so all the people went to Gilgal and there they made Saul king before the Lord in Gilgal. There they sacrificed peace offerings before the Lord and there Saul and all the men of Israel rejoiced greatly. And so if we were just to stop here in the story, in the book of Samuel, 1 Samuel just ended, we'd be like, man, this, this actually doesn't turn out too bad, right? The people are excited. The people are together. This is, a, this is a good thing. But if you've been in Sunday school, you know this doesn't work out well. You say, what, how, do we take a, how do we take an Old Testament narrative and how do we bring this in for the here and now. Like how, how do we take the Bible and apply it? Sometimes there's a one for one, right? So like when Paul says, don't steal, like what does that mean? It means don't steal, right? That's pretty, pretty hey, don't commit adultery. What's that mean? It means don't commit adultery, that we don't do that. So how do we take God, the people of Israel rejecting God to want a, a, a visible king, how do we take that and apply that to the here and now? Well, I think there's several things we can say about this passage, and I have written down two. So if you want to take some notes, if you want to have some discussion for your e-groups, here's a couple things that you can take with you, because I want to give you plenty of time to discuss. I know when I was doing this last year, we usually had some short time, so I want to try to give you some time today. Number one, when we reject God, disaster is inevitable. When, when we reject God, disaster is inevitable. When the people rejected God and they set up this monarchy, you have to understand that this is now a downward spiral. There's going to be some glimmers of hope because after Saul, you're going to get the greatest king essentially in Israel, which is David. And God promises David that through him, we're going to have a, a greater David, which we'll talk about here in a second. But it's a downward hill, downward spiral after that. In fact, Samuel tells them that when you, probably from last week, your speaker last week talked about how the, the, all the warnings, like Samuel's like, listen, you don't want a king because here's what he's going to do. He's going to take your people from you, make them and work for him. And he says, at one point, you're going to get to a point where you're going to say, we wish we didn't have a king. And in 1 Kings, that happens. Because eventually, the, the, under Solomon's son, Rehoboam, the kingdom will divide. And now you're going to have all these, this warring going on between the, the northern and southern tribes. You're going to have these leaders go into idolatry. And, and Israel's kings will no longer worship Yahweh. They'll worship Baal and everything else under the sun. And it ends with their captivity. God says, I've had enough of it, and he sends them into exile to Babylon. When we reject God, disaster is inevitable. I need, please understand that if you have any success in your life as a believer, it's because of God. It's because of God. You're not awesome. 
You're not. I'm not. God says that it's in our weakness that, that our strength is made perfect. Listen, you and I are not awesome. So any success we have is not because of anything you have inherently good within you. Because anything good you have in you comes from God. And any talent you have comes from God. So when God says you're mine and live my way, and we say, no, nah, I don't want to do it that way, best, just listen. It's no bueno. <laughs> it's no good. So whether you're a Christian and you reject God and you decide to live your own way, you go the world's way, the sin and the shame, it, it comes with it. When God gives, can I tell you now, because I know some of you are struggling with this right now, you know, I, you're like, I don't like my parents' rules. I don't like the rules of this, of this Christian school. I, don't, I think God's just a killjoy. God does not give you rules to kill joy. He's not the fun police. That's your parents' job. No, I'm just kidding. He's not the fun police. I used to think this. Like, God, why would you? Man, look at my friends. They're having so much fun. He says, no. God says, listen, this is the boundaries. And he says, this is how you are to enjoy me. Stay within these bounds. Because if you go outside of this bounds, you may have fun for a little while, but it comes with misery and shame and guilt. Do what I've told you to do and enjoy me. So number one, when, you, when we reject God, disaster is inevitable. You could talk to any of your teachers and find out if they were honest with you just about how when you live life your way, it doesn't work out well. You've probably experienced that in your own life. You've made choices. You've sinned against God. Punishment has come. And you realize, I should not have done this. Most of you know I do a lot of substitute teaching. I'll be here today, by the way. You're welcome. Just kidding. Um, I do a lot of it at Central City Public School. And um, there's a teacher that I sometimes sub for, and they have what's called alternative education. I mean, a lot of these kids are in here because of behavioral problems. And you talk with some of those kids. You know, Why are you here? Well, I was supposed to do X, but instead I did all these other things. And the consequences have now followed. So number one, when we reject God, disaster is inevitable. Number two, I'll leave you with this one. Only God's grace can undo the mess we make. Only God's grace can undo the mess we've made. You say, what does that look like in our text here? Israel says, we want a king. God says, don't do this. He said, we want a king. The law gave provision for it. He says, fine, I'll give you what you want. It's a downward spiral. But in our mess, as you go forward to 2 Samuel, God's going to raise up another king, David. And it's through him we're going to get the perfect God-man who's king, Jesus Christ. It's through this mess that God, God takes the mess and he, and, he, and he makes it for our good. You see that even in Jesus' own line. Look how you have the, 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 pro, uh, the prostitute Rahab who's in Judges. You look back at Jesus' genealogy, guess who one of his great-great-great-great-great-great-grandmothers is? It's Rahab the prostitute. God takes pleasure in taking the, uh, those of us who are sinners and, and, and gracing us in His love and, and redeeming us and making the story work out. 
So listen to me this morning. Listen to me, students. I'm, I'm talking to you here who do not know Christ. You, you say, I, I'm, you know, I'm coming to a Christian school. I, I'm doing this because my parents are making me do this. Listen, I'm not naive to know enough that just because you sit here, you're a believer. But this I do know. That your sins have separated you from a holy God, and in God's graciousness to you, he has sent his son Jesus to lay down his life to pay the penalty for your sins and my sins so that we can go free. God says, you've screwed up, you deserve death, you deserve hell, but in my grace to you, I'm going to offer forgiveness. And that offer is available to you this morning. The reason I started substituting teaching at Central City Public School, I told the elders, I told Pastor, I told pa Mr. Mankin, sorry, I told the other elders, I'm tired of being around believers. That sounds like a weird thing to say as a Christian. I study all day and I'm around Christians. So I need to be around unbelievers. I said, I, I want to get back into being around kids. And so the kids at Central City know that I'm Pastor Clint. And I started to sub. David's been playing baseball, so he's got a little bit of a connection with some of the public school kids. And lo and behold, circumstances were worked out where a couple kids say, Pastor Clint, can we come to church with you? Praise God. And I bring them, they start coming. When we start, first, the adults might know this, we bring them during, we're starting on Wednesday night, the evangelism series with, with Ray Comfort and the Way the Master. And if you don't anything about the Way of the Master, they show up the law of God. The law of God says you're guilty, you're guilty, you're guilty, right? And we're doing this, we're showing this, we got four or five kids coming, and after the, the close of Wednesday night, we pray, the, this big kid named Jackson, he just shows up and he says, Mr. Child, can I talk to you privately? I said, yeah, brother, let's talk. So I, I, my wife takes everybody else home. I, 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 Jackson and I are in my office, and he says, Mr. Childs, I've done a lot of bad things. And I'm not going to get into it, but Jackson has done a lot of bad things. And he goes, I need to be forgiven. What's he saying? He says, I have made terrible sins. I have done terrible things against God, and only God can undo this. And he repented of his sins and gave his life to Jesus that night. And students, listen to me. That offer is for you today as well. That if you'll turn from your sins and give your life to Jesus Christ, you will be saved. I praise God that he takes a sinner. He takes sinful decisions that we make, and in his grace, he can fix them for his glory. I'm a living testimony of that. And I pray that some of you are that as well. So my prayer this morning as we see 1 Samuel 9 through 11 and really kind of expand it till 8 to all the way to the end. Be careful what you wish for. The grass isn't greener on the other side. And if you've been over the fence following the ways of the world, God's grace can be provided to you in Jesus Christ to forgive you and bring you home. Let me close in prayer. Father, we thank you for your love and kindness towards us.
And we pray that this time that the word of God will not return void. I thank you for the truth of Scripture. I thank you for the accounts of, of Saul, which Israel's first king, and it's not going to go as expected. But in Israel's rejection of you, they'll get a king who is God, Jesus of Nazareth, who will not only save his people, but defeat all, all of their enemies, which is sin itself. We love you, Lord. And I pray this morning, if there's someone here that does not know Christ, that they would repent and believe. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.